You know, some people might wonder, you know, why would Brother Darrell have me come in and, and preach this conference? Well, Heather and I have been married 29 years. This coming January will be 30, and three of them have been good. And so, so that's why he thought, you know, I might have something to impart to you today. And so, so you know, that, that's the reason why we have some, uh, you know, respectability in what we're about to say. But no, it's, it's been a wonderful marriage, and uh, I can't believe it's been 30 years. It's amazing how fast time does go by. And uh, with the blessings we've been able to enjoy together and uh, the time we've got to spend and all that God's allowed us to experience, it, it really is just a joy, the gift of marriage, if you, uh, if you are obedient to God and allow Him to work in your life as He desires to do. We talked about one flesh, you know, and your pastor uh, kind of really set the stage well for this one here is, you know, how do we become this one flesh. You know, we are that way as far as what God has said about us, but how do we really nourish this uh, relationship? So I'm going to go back to the same verses I read to you earlier there in Ephesians chapter 5, but I'm going to start a little bit earlier than that in Paul's writing. In Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning of verse 21, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Am I still a little loud? I'm louder myself, I know that. Okay, submitting yourselves one to another, that's better. In the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know, the idea of becoming one flesh again, means that the couple is to act in harmony with one another and to provide a closeness to each other. You know, they are working to, for the good of their marriage, obviously, but even more than that, the good of their family and also for the glory of God. And so when Heather and I first got married, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was committing to change. You know, I was no longer to be thinking in terms of me, but now I needed to think in terms of we, and this is probably the primary reason why marriage is sometimes so difficult, uh, especially for those who are immature. And let's face it, most of us were that way when we got married. We didn't recognize it at the time, but most of us, when we got married, were very immature. And so those men who just want to have fun, you know, with their spouse or those women who are just looking kind of for a sentimental relationship with their man, they find out very quickly that marriage is work. And I'm talking hard work. You know, it is difficult because you are battling against one of the strongest forces in the world, and that is your own selfishness. You know, our flesh wants what it wants, and it wants it now. It doesn't like to be denied. It doesn't even like to be delayed. If you don't believe me, just go on a diet. 
You know, any of us that have ever gone on a diet, we recognize how strong the cravings of the flesh are. You know, it won't leave you alone. It's constantly trying to rationalize with me, you, you know, with you. It's uh, saying stuff like, you know, if you don't feed me, I'm going to die. You know, I don't deserve this. You know, you ought to you know, take care of me. And it just won't shut up. It just nags at you and nags at you the entire time. And, and, and so... When you come into a marriage, you know, the one thing that you have going against you is your own flesh. Certainly you have the flesh of the other spouse, but I'm talking your own flesh is enough to keep you busy. But when it comes to marriage, if the us is going to prosper, the me has to be denied. You know, this is the reason why before God ever had Paul write those specific commands about how the wife is to submit to the husband, how the husband is supposed to give himself for the wife. Before he ever came to those particular commands, he began, as I read with verse 21, when he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And, and so we have to give up our will for the sake of the other, if our marriage is going to prosper and it's going to succeed. And so this is not easy to do. You know, God knows it's not easy to do. That's why at the end of that particular verse, he says, do this in the fear of God, because he knows us as sinful individuals. We need a lot of motivation in this area. And so he doesn't say, hey, I'm recommending that you do this. He goes, no, I want you to understand something. You're going to answer to me about how that you do this, and you need to submit yourselves one to another. And so at most weddings, you know, we have a, a, a tradition here in America. I don't know about other countries, but I know here in America we have a tradition where the couple, you know, after the wedding ceremony is done and they go over to the reception, usually they feed each other the cake, you know, and then they feed each, or they allow each other to drink from their own glasses. And it's just symbolic that from this point forward, we are not going to nourish ourselves, but we're going to nourish the other. I know most of you probably didn't know that. You just thought it was a fun time to smash the cake in the person's face and just spill, spill the drink all over them. But that's really what it's supposed to symbolize. It is from this point forward, I am going to nourish you as you nourish me. What does that mean? We're going to submit one to another. We're going to submit to each other. You know, we, we have the ability to nourish one another. The way God has made us and, and the gifts that he and the abilities he's given us as a male and a female, we have the ability to do this. It's putting it into practice that sometimes is difficult. You know, do you ever wonder, you know, if God's word stresses that the man should love the wife and wives, how it stresses that the wives should submit to their husbands? is because we men are incredibly selfish and you women are incredibly willful. You ever wonder why that he puts it in there? I mean, how many times he puts husbands love wives, husbands love wives? It's not there because it's easy for us to do. We're selfish men. It's hard for us to think about the other person. Wonder why God continues to say, hey, wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your husbands, submit to your husbands, because you ladies are willful. And so we find this a very difficult proposition to give up ourself for the good of the other. And so, you know, Philippians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5 says this. It says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we are going to act as one flesh, then we need to have the same mind. We need to have the mind of Christ. 
Christ was always giving himself to those that were around him, and that's what we need to do within the aspect of our marriage. You know, for the good of the marriage, this yielding and thus nourishing needs to be implemented in every facet of our relationship. You know, as saved people, we have often, uh, we, uh, often say that we have uh, practical holiness and positional holiness. What does that mean? Well, when we accept Christ as our Savior, then we are positionally holy because we are now in Him. But we need to flesh that out. We understand that, that positional holiness needs to become practical holiness. We need to become, have victory over our sin. Was well, the same way with our marriage relationship. When we say our vows, God says, you are now one flesh. That's who we are positionally, but this needs to be practiced out in our life. And, and so if we're going to have to nurture our, if we're going to nurture our relationship like we need to so that we truly do become this practical one flesh, then that means that we've got to yield to each other in every facet of our life. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to mention three of them this evening. The first one is this. We need to submit to one another in the realm of communication. You know, communication is that 13-letter word that sounds like a four-letter word to most men. You know, you know, for most men, you know, when somebody says, well, you need to communicate, you need to share with one another. You know, we imagine an interrogation room where the lights are shining in our eyes and, and you know, we're being coerced to vomit out our feelings, you know. That's what men think of at that particular time. The problem is we men don't have any feelings and so we just experience dry heaves for hours on end, you know. <laughs> And so, you know, so that's kind of, that, that's not what we're talking about here. But the truth is, is that no two people can effectively walk together, work together, or live together without an effective communication system. You know, good communication will always reduce problems in the workplace and in the home. It, it is not only effective in the giving of instructions and commands and desires, but it also reveals to us who the other person is and where their heart is at the moment. And so, you know, when we, wives, wives need communication with their husbands because they are commanded to fulfill the role as our helpmeet. You know, you can't effectively help someone if you don't know what they need. I mean, that should be really simple, but none of us miss that. They won't know how to help us if we don't communicate what we need. And, and so many wives are wanting to be a good helpmeet, but they, they are struggling you know, to accomplish that. And their husbands sometimes are frustrated with them because they don't feel like they're a good helpmeet, but they don't know what to do. You know, can you imagine getting hired for a job, you know, maybe as an accountant, maybe at a large firm and you know, whoever hired you just took you over there and said, there's, there's your office, there's your desk, you know, I guess I'll let you to it. And I don't care how good the accountant is. I mean, that accountant could be the phenomenal. They'll never succeed. The reason being is, is you, they got to have more communication than that. They need to know, you know, who the answer to, uh, who's beneath them. They need to know who their clients are. They need to know what type of accounts they have. They, they, and on so on and so on. I mean, there's just so many things that would need to be communicated to them in order for them to succeed as an accountant. It wouldn't be that they didn't have the skill or the ability. They didn't receive the communication in order to bring it to pass. Well, think for a moment. You know, God communicates to us what? Through the scriptures. We know that. You know, in Psalms, it is referred to as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
But then there in Proverbs, if you think about it, the Bible refers to the commandments of parents as also lamps and their laws as lights for their children. Well, what's commandments? Well, there's communication. And so communication is incredibly profitable because it enlightens us to the things that we need to know. You know, the sad truth is, though, is that many husbands are frustrated with their wives because they aren't being the helpmate that what they would like them to be. And the wives are frustrated because they are having to operate in the dark because we are not communicating with them. We're not turning the lights on for them. But wives and children aren't the only ones that need the communication. Husbands, we need it as well. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, God says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know, we are literally commanded to know our wives so that we know how to honor them. What does that mean? To meet their needs, to cherish them, to build them up, to be able to edify them. And you can't know them the way you ought without communication. And don't assume that just because you've communicated with the past that you know where they're at today. And as a pastor, I'm certain Pastor Durrell's the same way. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard a wife say, we just don't talk anymore. They used to, but it just isn't happening today. You know, many times the man will try to excuse themselves by saying something along the lines of, well, you know, we know each other so well now, we just don't need to communicate like we used to. Well, can I tell you, wives change, just like you do. You know, their personalities change, their fears change, their desires change. And if the two of you aren't communicating, you will have no idea how to meet this newer version of your wife. You know, they don't just change a little either. You know, they change a lot. I'm telling you, over the last 30 years, I've had 12 wives and they're all named Heather. <laughs> a perfect example, you know, when Heather and I first uh, started dating, we weren't even married yet at that time, but we were getting close and I really did like her and I was, I was really wanting to do something and kind of start swaying her that direction. And so uh, we were up at Bible college and uh, you guys were going on your snow camp trip. And so... Uh, you know, I told you how much it had been a blessing to me, and so I wanted it to be a blessing to her, and I thought, you know, give us some time together as well. So I invited her, I said, hey, I tell you what, I'd love just to, for you to go with me to snow camp, I'll pay the way, and we'll be able to go. And so she agreed, and so we, we came. So obviously, kind of like it is today, you know, so when we get here, she knew a few of the people from the church, a few of them had come up, uh, uh, up to uh, the college, and seen us, and she got to meet a few of the people. I think she knew uh, Sheila and a few others, Missy, and, uh, but not a lot. And so when we got here, and we loaded up on the bus and everything, and as we're kind of gathered around there talking, you know, I knew everybody, and so everybody's talking to me and everything like that. And I had seen her talking to Sheila and Missy, and, and she was talking to a few, and so I just kind of assumed she was making other acquaintances, and I was talking to a bunch of friends. And so we got on the bus, and we're taking off, and you know, it's a forever drive out there. And so as we're driving, you know, I'm kind of going from place to place and talking and everything. I'm thinking the whole time that she's doing the same thing over there in the front end of the bus and making some new, uh, greeting some new people and getting to know some people. And so we're coming along. We get up there to snow camp, and again, you know, I saw her a few times, but then there was other times when I would get out and I would start enjoying some other fellowship with others and skiing with this person, that. 
And so I remember after we came back, I think it was the first day of skiing, if I remember right, we came back and, uh, and we were around each other and she came up to me and she goes, Brent, she goes, what, what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, are you breaking up with me? I was like, am I breaking up with you? I go, why would you ask that? And she goes, because you're not spending hardly any time with me. She goes, you're always over there and here and there. And I was like, Heather, I said, if I wanted to break up with you, I'm not going to spend $400 in to bring you to snow camp. I go, I could have done that for free back in Springfield, you know? <laughs> That's the practical side of me. But I learned something that day. I learned that my wife at that time wasn't this social butterfly and that she needed me to kind of introduce her to others and kind of bring her along and kind of be there by her side. She was a lot more insecure in who she was than I realized it myself. But because we had some communication, I learned something very valuable that day. And for the rest of the trip, I made certain to stay much closer to her. Didn't, it wasn't that I didn't go have some fun with the others, but I started to learn, bring her along each time. Well, it's funny because now she's no longer that woman. She's much more secure in who she is. And she teaches over at one of our charter schools there. And I dare say that when we get in crowds and stuff like that, she's the social butterfly more than I am. You know, she has changed. Your wives are going to change. You are going to change. Your needs as individuals are going to change. Your needs as a couple are going to change. And therefore, you need to be communicating with one another on a regular basis. And in order to be profitable, we must not only communicate, but we must do it correctly. You know, good communication is always based on trust and truth and given in love. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 states, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You know, one reason why couples don't like to communicate is because when they finally do, it is more hurtful than helpful. You know, that has to stop. And, you know, we have to be able to convey our concerns and our frustrations and our joys and everything about life to our spouse, and we have to be able to listen to theirs without wounding one another. You know, this is going to take two things, though. Humility and discipline. You know, we must be humble enough to realize that we don't know everything. And we are prone to make mistakes, and we've got to own up to them. And likewise, we must be disciplined enough to listen with the intent to understand and speak with the intent to edify. And in order to listen with the intent to understand, we have to engage our hearts and our minds as well as our ears. And it's interesting, when Jesus uh, would speak and when he would teach, he would often say you know, that they had ears, but they didn't hear. What he was saying is they heard it audibly, but it never would penetrate them because their hearts were hard and, and they were not in a teachable situation. We can't be that way with our spouse if we're really wanting to communicate well. And in order to speak with the intent to edify, we need to choose our words carefully and really be as concise as possible. You know, we can't be vague and fuzzy when clarity is needed the most. 
You know, one of the best things you can do when you are communicating, especially when you're about to communicate things that are sometimes hard, is to take a breath and pause before you speak. That's what I mean by discipline. You know, think through what you're about to say and make certain that you use the proper tone when you say it. You know, sometimes, you know, it's, it's the right timing. You know, ladies, you know, the best time to talk about something serious for guys usually is not right when they're about to pillow their head at night. That is a poor time to be talking about those things. But guys, the best way to talk to your wives about something serious is not to use that, con that condescending tone that we can get sometimes or that angry tone that we can get because immediately that puts them on the defensive. And so if we want to become one flesh, then we need to submit to one another in this realm of communication. But then we also need to submit in the realm of activity. You know, you need to do things together. I mean, if you're going to be close, you've got to be together. I find it interesting that when God made Adam, you know, he said, it is not good for him to be alone. And all the men said, amen to that. You know, e even though Adam was made perfectly and lived in a perfect world, God knew something was missing. You know, how could this be? Well, because Adam was made in the image of God. And God himself is a relational being. I mean, even when he made man, he said, hey, let us, us, make man in our image, showing the relation that God has between the three persons. And so other than God himself, your marriage relationship should be the closest relationship you have. You know, one of the best ways to grow closer together as a couple is through shared experiences. You know, this is how spouses become close friends. You know, friendships arise when two or more people discover that they have common insights or common interest. You know, you don't demand that your spouse involve themselves in your favorite things. You may try them out and see if they like them. But what you need to do is you need to find something that both of you can enjoy. You know, if you are blessed, man, they may like your favorite things. But if they don't, don't despair. There's a lot of other stuff to do out here in the world. You know, over the years, Heather and I have found out we really enjoy going to ball games and musicals together. We enjoy hiking together. We enjoy entertaining guests together. We enjoy eating together. I mean, who doesn't like to do that? You know, we, we enjoy watching some different shows together. We, we enjoy fishing together, except when she catches more fish, then I don't like it that all much. But, you know, we enjoy traveling together. We love traveling together. It, it isn't that we do everything together. We don't. But we do a lot together. And the key is, if you want your spouse to be your friend, you have to do something. Good. You know, you may have to step out of your comfort zone sometimes. I got news for you. Musicals and me, we weren't like this at the start. And some of them, I'm still not there. You know, as far as going to the Nutcracker, forget it. Men in tights, it ain't happening. <laughs> but I did find out, hey, you know, we, we went out and we saw Wicked, you know, together. I said, hey, I like that. That was good. That was funny and fun. You know, we've been to see Phantom of the Opera and a few others. And so there's certain musicals that we can get into. There are certain symphonies I can get into. But the fact is, is you got to try it out. You know, Heather found out she loves fishing. You know, she, she didn't when she was a kid because they never caught anything. But she found out, hey, when you catch something, this is a lot of fun. And so you just have to keep trying until you find something that both of you like. You know, I hear it all the time. We just, we just don't like the same things. I'm sorry, you're not trying. You're telling me out of the thousands of things out here in this world that you can do, you can't find just a few that you can do together and enjoy? 
I mean, I don't care whether it's putting puzzles together or going out here, you know, zip lining. I don't care what you do, but find something that you can enjoy together. Because one of the greatest ways you can convey your love to your spouse is to do things with them. And at parenting conferences, man, we say it all the time. You know, love is spelled T-I-M-E. We recognize how important it is for parents to spend time with their children, that that's what says love, love, love. I got news for you. The spelling doesn't change in marriage. It's still T-I-M-E. You know, my father, he was terrible about saying I love you. And a matter of fact, I don't think, if I remember right, I was 26 or 28 when he first, well, the first time I remember him saying, I love you, and I, I kid you not, I thought he must have been about to die. I, I stopped dead in my tracks, I turned around, I said, what's wrong? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, are, are you okay? I mean, is everything okay? He goes, yeah. And I was like, all right. <laughs> he never said it. I mean, unless he said it when I was little bitty, but it shocked me. But this was the one thing with my dad. I never doubted his love, never. I knew he loved me, because he always wanted me around. He went to every football game I ever played, every golf tournament I ever was at. I mean, he was always there. He would take us, you know, on major vacations. He would take me all the time to go fishing with him. You know, I can remember even when he was at work sometimes, if I was out of school, he would bring me along. We would go make the sales visit, which was really boring. But after he was done, we would go find some little thing to do, or he would go over to the, the best, you know, ice cream place in town, and we'd buy big old shakes and suck them down together. I knew my dad loved me because dad wanted to be around me. And that's what you ought to know from your spouse, is they want to be around you. And I recently heard about a 2-2-2 marriage plan. It was encouraging couples just to spend time together. He, it said for every two weeks, you ought to spend two hours together. For every two months, you ought to spend two days. And for every two years, you ought to spend two weeks. Now he's talking about just time for you. I mean, you should be around each other more than that. But at the same time, it's not biblical, but it's not a bad idea. And it's pretty sound. You, you have to make time. And I don't know about you, but if it ain't scheduled for me, it hardly ever gets done. And so you need to make that a priority in your life and submit to one another and meet each other's need in that area. And then finally, you need to submit in the realm of romance. Now, I use the term romance to cover both the ideas of affection and sex. You know, literally, this is the part of marriage whereby the two truly become one. You know, it reveals to us the ecstasy that comes when we are joined together as God intended. And it is a time when we enjoy nothing but the other person. And this is why God not only allows romance within marriage, but He literally commands it. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5 says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except be with a consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. God literally commands us to have times of affection and sex. He said, why? Because it's benevol showing benevolence to one another. What is benevolence? That is when you're meeting someone's need. You need it. You need this time together. You know, when Solomon wrote to his son, he said, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. 
As many of you know, the Song of Solomon you know, has many verses that deal with the physical relationship between a husband and a wife. And I'm telling you what, the Bible, it's a very uncomfortable book for the prudish. You know, the Bible speaks highly of sex when it's between a married couple. You know, it commands it to be abstained from others, but within marriage, it speaks very highly of it. And I would draw your attention to the fact that most of those verses that we look at in the scriptures that really talk about the gift of sex and all of these things are in what we call the wisdom section of the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. You know, God does not look at romance as frivolous. He sees it as necessary and as wise. And so as the designer of marriage, he knows its importance and he knows its power. I like what Tim Keller wrote. He said, sex in a marriage is like oil in an engine. It keeps all the moving parts flowing freely so you don't burn out the motor. You know, the joy and pleasures of romance make it so much easier to deal with the friction that will take place from time to time in the spouse's marriage. But like communication, it is not enough that we have times of romance. We need to do it appropriately. And as believers, it is to be an act of love and not of lust. Lust is selfish by its nature. Love has the other in thought and in mind. And so those couples who are the most romantic are those who seek to satisfy their spouse more than they seek to satisfy themselves. Now, I understand, you know, when you're talking about romance and sex that, you know, that time does march on. And I understand that we're going to have to adapt in this area of our lives as the years progress. But I'm telling you, we should fight not to let the flames go completely out in this area. Because when they do, we will recognize that something is sorely missing. So how do we nurture each other so we can function as one flesh? Well, we need to submit to each other. And in the, in the realms of communication and activity and romance. And if we will do this, we will nourish each other. And, and we will do well. But if we don't do this, what we'll do is we'll starve one another to the point where we can't meet each other's needs. And it's amazing to me, you often talk about momentum. You know? A lot of guys, you know, we hear that a lot in, in the sports world. It's hard to define momentum, but we know when it's taking place. You know, you get, you get a team out there and they start making a first down and another first down and it starts to get in the minds of the defense that, that, you know, hey, are we able to stop them? And they start to have some doubts and then the offense starts to get more confident about what they're doing. It just seems like things start to click and they just start moving down the field. And, and so it gets this momentum building. And I tell you, when momentum gets rolling, man, it can be a powerful force. But the opposite is true. When you lose momentum, man, it's hard to get it back sometimes. It's very difficult. And the same thing can happen in marriage. You know, when you're meeting each other's needs, it, it becomes like this snowball going down the hill. It just starts picking up speed, and it's amazing how wonderful marriage can be because you're meeting your spouse's need, they're turning around and meeting yours, and here we go. And all of a sudden, everything just seems to be clicking together. Even though there will be things that come into your life circumstantially that will be difficult, man, you guys will just steamroll right over them because you have this togetherness, you have this closeness, and you're able to accomplish things that that you would never be able to accomplish on your own. But I tell you what, when all of a sudden you decide for whatever reason not to meet your spouse's need, 
and you start to starve them out, all of a sudden they become malnourished to where they can't meet yours. And all of a sudden now you have no momentum at all. And it just seems like the thing just starts to die inside. And it really does take two people just to repent at that moment and ask God for His grace to get that momentum going once again. So I encourage you, I implore you, make certain that you are meeting each other's need. The thing that will destroy more relationships than any other is just downright selfishness from not but both spouses, but it can only takes one to really destroy that which is good and that which is holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so grateful for your word and the instruction it brings. And Lord, you've made a relationship between a man and a woman such a special thing. Lord, so special that it is supposed to convey to this world the relationship that you have with your own bride, the church. But Lord, it takes your grace for this to take place, and it takes humility on our side, and a commitment and a conviction, Lord, to, to seek to meet the need of our spouse. And so, Lord, I would just ask that you would help us to do so. That, Lord, that we would make time to communicate. And that our communication would be edifying and holy. That, Lord, that we would take time to spend together. That we would separate some time and schedule some time for date nights. And that we would not just be content just to watch a show together sometimes or just to go to church together. Though All those things are wonderful, but, Lord, we would just... Take some time and set it aside just for us. And then also, Lord, that we would take time to, to just enjoy the romantic side of marriage. That, Lord, that we would never lose the thrill of one another. That we would be able to enjoy just each other there in that sexual union. And, Lord, if we do these things and meet our, the needs of the other in these areas, just these three areas, oh, how think good things can be. And so, Lord, I just ask that you'd give us the grace to be obedient, and we'll give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that was incredibly practical and helpful. And uh, I think something we can put in practice. Selfishness is the enemy of closeness. What if we... Uh, what if tonight we made a commitment in our marriages to begin to stop being selfish in the way we communicate and always having to win, always have to prove a point, always have to, you know, have our way? And what if we actually followed the admonition of Ephesians 12 is to edify in the way we, we communicate and not to hurt the other person? I want us to think through the communication that you've had the past week past month, and how many times has it been hurtful? Okay, that has to stop. Because that is not about improving your marriage, that's about being selfish. We need to fix that. I mean, just super practically, we have to stop the hurtful, selfish communication that does nothing but tear the other person down. That is the epitome of the opposite of what Christ wants. What would it be like if we could talk safely and uh, help each other. Sarah and I were married, I don't know how many years. We had, a, we, we had a, I think we've always had a good relationship, but it was maybe years 9 through 10, 11. 
that we just made a decision to improve the way we talked and to be open and transparent and learn to listen. And uh, it changed our marriage. And we've continued that throughout the years. What about being selfish in time? What a great thought. How simple. Just find things to do together. It sounds so, so obvious, but it's so often lost in a marriage. You know, we have kids, life gets busy, and they sometimes can crowd into center stage. It was you and her before. It's going to be you and her afterwards, maybe. Um, you get the idea. You two got to stay center stage and spend time together. Figure that out. Go do some things. I, I, again, I, I think Brent and Heather, um, you know, we spent time with them. We've been hiking and doing those things. I'm telling you, there's nothing that replaces time and doing those things together. And then the physical intimacy is such an important part of marriage. Think about this. The one thing, the one thing that makes marriage different than every other relationship is what? That's the one thing. And if that is subtracted or neglected, 1 Corinthians 7, then you have a paper between you, and you may have commitment, but one flesh in marriage? I don't know. And Brent, you know, things change, but to let it go would be a tragedy. You know, that'd be a tragedy. And so this is super practical advice, okay? Like this is, this is the kind of stuff you can, the bottom shelf for all of us to work on is profound and deep, but it's simple enough for us to grasp a hold of. And so talk, spend time together, and work on that relationship. It, it'll, it'll, it'll honor the intent of the meeting these two days. There's been a lot of work here. It'll honor that intent, and it'll improve your marriage. All right, Brent, thank you. That was super helpful.